This episode is brought to you by DoorDash and by Kitsch. Hey guys, I'm Nikki and there's no Gabby. I'm hosting this episode by myself today. Gabby, unfortunately, has been sick and I got to do this alone. So um, you guys have seen our sex episodes. You guys actually say they're your favorite. They're me and Gabby's favorite to film because we're making a taboo topic normal because it low-key is normal. Um, And it's also fun to talk about and you can learn a lot. So today we are gonna have another sex episode, but this time, instead of having a sex conversation with Gabby, I'm going to speak with a professional. We have a special guest with us today, Meryl Victoria. She is an intimacy and somatic sex coach. Because you said there is shame associated with what we are about to be talking about in this episode, I do want to ask before we get into this conversation, you know, our bodies were made for this. Our bodies were made for pleasure. Um, Why do you think there is shame associated with these topics if it's so normal and we were made to feel this? Thank you so much for asking the question, Nikki. Um, So a sort of similar experience that a lot of people tend to have is their parents catch them masturbating or looking at porn. And when that happens, there's this moment of like, oh my God, shock and awe. I don't know what to do with this. And that sort of moment where that child or young person feels the reaction of their parent, that's the first moment that they're like, okay, something is wrong with this. And, um, and you know, there's a lot of historic stuff around like why marriage happened for landowning men and ensuring parentage. And all of this is kind of like, keep it locked up because if you're having sex with more than one person, we can't then continue on with the value that you're bringing us. And uh, especially for female bodied people from all directions. This can be attributed to like capitalism, patriarchy, media. We're constantly receiving this message that our bodies are valuable or monetized in some way. And we just saw this sort of explode with the Roe v. Wade decision. Um, like I'm valuable because I have a uterus, not because I can experience pleasure or because I can give pleasure or because I have access to pleasure, um, but because I can bear children. And that messaging that people receive about their bodies, whatever, whether you're uh, born as a male, born as a female, you receive social conditioning that teaches you your body is for this one thing. And if you divert away from that or do something that's not for that purpose, that there's a lot of shame that comes just from that conditioning that we receive. So what does your therapy involve? When would I reach out to you for your expertise? People ask me all the time what populations I work with. And I always say, I work with people who are ready to do the work. And a lot of times it starts with learning how to love ourselves, learning how to accept ourselves, learn understanding the whys of what we want and our behavior. And that's really where the work starts. And it's that the, the more deeply connected you can be with yourself, the more deeply connected you can be with other people. And it's finding a way to prioritize your own pleasure and finding healthy, sustainable ways to invite people into that with you. 
So for me, a lot of people reach out uh, when they're having trouble orgasming or uh, navigating non-monogamy or there's a differential in desire between them and their partner or partners. Um, you know, a lot of people sign into a session and immediately think we're going to start talking about their fantasies and sexy stuff. And I'm like, so how do you feel about you? What do you think about boundaries? Do you know it's okay to have needs? And those are actually the subjects that people react to a little bit more because it's really scary that we don't often have answers to those questions. Sex is intimacy. And when you look at what intimacy is, intimacy is connection. So you can go have casual sex, but when you're trying to work on a sex life with a specific person or a specific situation, there needs to be connection if you want to grow in that space. And I've been in relationships where um, I've tried so hard to communicate and there's always like this like disconnect. And when there's no emotional connecting, how is the sex supposed to be good? Um, and also because there's that shame associated with sex, have you ever been in a situation with clients where um, the girl is going to you without her partner knowing because she's in like a desperate place in the relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's usually the woman or women in the relationships that feel like responsible for the sexual health of the relationship because women are often the emotional leaders of the relationship. So the advice that I always give people who are beginning new relationships is set the standard for communication immediately. How do you talk to me and how should I talk to you? What are the ways in which we can healthfully communicate with each other without setting it all on fire or everybody ending up completely triggered and unable to connect even further? One of my favorite things about people who come away from sessions with me is they really learn how to teach someone how to love them. This is how I communicate. These are my boundaries. These are my needs. This is what I like and don't like. And I hold space for myself to change my mind anytime I want. And are you willing to go on that ride with me? Why does good sex come from toxicity sometimes? Yeah, like not a triggering question at all, right? Like <laughs> thinking back to a million experiences of my own. Um, I think the first thing to acknowledge is your body has natural responses to certain kinds of touch or arousal. And, you know, sometimes our bodies will take over and just experience the pleasure. Just if you allow your body to, to receive it, then you're able to experience it because that's where pleasure starts. It starts in the body. Um, I mean, <laughs> I guess it depends on your flavor of toxicity. And, um, you know, if you had like a, a dad who wasn't super interested in being around, you might seek a connection with a sort of like daddy type and feel that, that your nervous system like recognizes that feeling of being like dismissed or not important or like they don't really care if you're around or not. And your body responds to what it knows. So it might just feel familiar. 
it might not feel good. So not to, to make this a weird question, but like what we look for in the bedroom is somehow tied to our upbringing. Yeah. Um, this is a tough one for a lot of people to hear. I had to do a lot of my own healing around this reality. Um, our sexual desires, our attachment style, um, it's all that stuff happens to us when we're kids are a lot of times I'm going to dial it back a little bit and say that what actually makes sex great is the way it makes you feel. I mean, yeah, like we love spanking. We love, you know, sensation play. We love DS dynamics. We love all this other fun stuff. The, the stuff we do is awesome. And if the stuff we do does not elicit feelings that feel good for us, then the sex can't be great. So maybe I, let's take this daddy issue example, right? So maybe something that is a healing feeling for me would be feeling chosen and special. And the way that I get that feeling is from doing like DDLG play or some kind of impact play or anything really in the kink and fetish world. Like it's the, it's the thing that we're doing that gives us the yummy feeling, which makes sex so wonderful. So it's important to understand what the history is that causes us to want what we want in sex. So it's my wound around feeling abandoned that makes me want to feel chosen and special in sex. And the way I feel chosen and special in sex is when I do this, 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 and this. You said that there was a healing feeling in sex. The one that you're looking for is to feel special and feel chosen, right? Because of the abandonment issues. I've been in relationships where I feel a healthy chosen feeling, but then I have this other history where I, I have felt a false sense of being chosen just because they finally wanted to connect and have intimacy with me. And the one made me feel good and then dropped right after when sex was done, I felt worthless. And then the other one maybe isn't as much of a high and a drop, but it's very consistently feeling well. Why does that one situation that's clearly not good for you create that healing feeling of being chosen and feeling special, even if that's not what's happening? Everything means something different to different people. So certain activities are going to elicit different feelings for different people. But the, if we zoom out, the most important, one of the most important elements to literally everything is context. So sex can feel good in the context, in the context of sex, but does it feel good in the context of your relationship? Maybe not. It sounds like what you're describing is one connection that feels really safe and like you're really held in it and you're cared for and that the connection between you extends beyond sex because sex is not the important part of that connection. And in this other example, it sounds like, yeah, maybe you're being, you're feeling used because maybe you are being used for sex and that connection isn't sustaining and continuing beyond the sexual connection. So it almost holds more of a priority because that's the only way that a a couple could be connecting is the physical. Yeah. And some people just don't know 
how to connect with someone without including sex. And that's where the communication piece comes in and learning how to be with your partner or partners inside of the bedroom and outside of the bedroom. If they're comfortable with you in life, then everything that happens in the bedroom is going to be even better because it adds to the texture of your relationship and the ways in which that in the ways in which you can share all of that sort of yummy goodness that exists outside of the bedroom. So getting into what you do, was it hard knowing that there is like judgments and shame associated with this topic? And how did you even get into it? How did you find yourself finding your purpose in this? Um, I did a pandemic pivot. I worked in hospitality for 13 years and was about to take over as the general manager of this really cool little queer female owned cocktail bar and bakery here in Brooklyn. And that felt like really exciting and aligned. And then the rug got completely pulled out from underneath all of us. And it was the first opportunity I've had probably ever in my adult life to slow down or like <laughs> come to a full stop, I guess, and kind of look inward and say, am I happy with this? Is this what I want to do every day for the rest of my life? I just kind of got on this track of make money and survive. And I found a way to do that, doing something I really enjoyed and was fun. Um, but when I had the chance to reflect, my answer was not a full body yes. So I, I started exploring myself and wondering well, how do you want to spend every day of the rest of your life? And then I remembered the show Sex Education, which if you haven't seen it, you should watch it. I love it. And Jillian Anderson's character is a sex therapist. And I thought to myself, like, that's a real job. Like, I could just talk about sex all day and help people have better sex. Um, it felt like a really exciting idea for me. And I've always sort of been the friend that people come to for advice, especially about sex and relationships. So when I started exploring what that could look like for me, I found coaching. And coaching and therapy differ in a lot of ways. Um, for me, one of the most important distinctions between them is the lens of therapy is kind of like, I'm looking at you. And you have a one-way relationship with your therapist. With coaching, the lens is, I'm here with you. I'm holding you. We're in this together. And it's a two-way relationship. So in that way, I get to teach people through experiential practice with me how to be in and experience intimate relationships. One of my teachers once said, only do what turns you on. And it really turns me on to think that the people whose lives I am a part of are out there in the world having amazing sex. I think that's hot as fuck. A lot of people who experience butterflies with a partner or a stranger while hooking up like are addicted to that butterfly feeling. And are, I saw a quote actually Halsey said, and I wish I could pull it up, but she said, um, I think it actually might be a lyric she elaborated on, but she was in an interview and she said, butterflies are actually warning signs? Um, I think butterflies for me and for a lot of people that I've worked with are one of those body sensations that can be categorized in multiple places. 
And usually it's this, I'm nervous, but I'm also excited. And there are often times there are more sensate experiences that your body has to inform you as to whether you're nervous or excited. And sometimes when we have edgy feelings like that, we can decide, I'm going to be excited about this and continue to listen to myself for other warning signs that maybe this isn't good for me. And that's a really brave choice to make for sure, because sometimes you might want to lean into this. You know what? My intuition might be taking over a little bit and I think it's nervousness and I'm going to listen to that and move with caution. So again, it's all about slowing way down. And when you're, when you're having those butterflies, letting yourself totally experience them, let them flutter all about in your body and see if they find some more information for you. So previously on this podcast, we did do some sex episodes and we, me and my sister were talking about how, oh God, I can't believe I'm going to say this, but there was a quote that I saw that said, good dick imprisons you. Can, how do you take that? When I hear that, I think that's a scarcity mindset. There is so much dick out there in the world. And I can say as someone who has been dating in New York City for 10 years, that like it is somehow very hard to find good dick that is attached to a good body. And when I say a good body, I mean a good, holistic human person. So I think if you're in a mindset of scarcity that's like, it's so rare for me to find good dick from a person that I can stand to be around that it's like, you do get a little bit pigeonholed in that. Like if I let it go, then I'm, then I have nothing and it's going to take me another, however many months to find another good dick. So if we think more in abundance, it's like, no, it's that old, like there's plenty of fish in the sea. There's plenty of dick roaming around out there just waiting to be sat on. So like, I think you, you do have to kind of release yourself from this mindset that like, I, if I don't have it now, then I'll never have it again. And also people have so many different ideas of what good dick means. I think me a few years ago and good dick I'm using as like a metaphor, like good sex. It was just a quote, good dick, but it could be with like a girl, a guy, he, she, they, them, but good sex, I think changes. The definition changes as you get older. And I think who I was just three years ago classified good sex as having sex with my crush who gives me butterflies, who I'm attracted to, who I look forward to having sex with and I'm excited and nervous and that's it. And it's vanilla. And then like me now having had like experienced more to life, I feel like good sex to me means safety and fun and calm and romantic and but like safety is like where it starts now that I'm older. Um, but when I, when I read that quote years ago, i like wholeheartedly related to it. And now that I'm, you know, 27, I feel like when I see that quote, good dick imprisons you, I'm like, yeah, if you find a partner that gets you and you can have fun and be safe and it's consistent and you can be yourself, like, that would imprison me. I want to be imprisoned by this person. I think that's, you make such a great point too. Cause like it, it is, um, I think the dopamine hit of sex extends beyond the actual like 
act of doing it and like, oh my God, this person that I am really into and I think is super hot wants to have sex with me. And that is really exciting. It's super validating. It makes you feel there's something so intoxicating about the feeling of being seen and then accepted and chosen for what they see in you. Like that is hot. And that is an amazing, uh, amazing environment to have wonderful sex inside of because that inherently, that's a, that's an inherent piece of a safe sexual environment. So what's the difference between intimacy and sexual intimacy? For me, intimacy is the umbrella term. Intimacy, the definition of intimacy, I think we could probably expand. I know that when I was growing up, a lot of people use the phrase be intimate with instead of saying sex because like, God forbid anybody say the word sex. And I think that, um, that got stuck somehow inside a lot of us that intimacy means you're having sex with someone. For me, intimacy is about the nature of the connection we share with people and how it feels to be in connection with someone. Each of us have our own unique little pilot light that makes it feel different to connect. It'll feel different to connect with me than it will feel to connect with you because we have different energy. So intimacy is being able to explore, understand, and settle with other people's energies that make you feel good. So a word from our sponsor of today's episode, DoorDash. We love, we love DoorDash. It makes it possible to get your errands done, the chores in your house, all the work you have to do. All you got to do is download the app and there's so many deliveries available. You can order food, you can get household items, grocery shop, essentials. Guys, I literally abuse DoorDash. Like I think I, I use it every day. I just looked at my bank statements, it's like DoorDash, DoorDash, DoorDash. Like same, it's really, really hard not to, especially when there's so much to do in the, in the week. It makes doing multiple tasks possible. And it shows you restaurants in your area. It could be family owned small businesses or it could be your favorite national restaurants. If you guys use our code opposite twins for up to 50% off a $20 value with $0 in delivery fee. So that's 50% off with $20 in value plus free delivery if you guys use our code opposite twins. And I'm about to use it because I use it every day. So they say hair care is the new skincare and Kitsch took this to the next level because they have all of the hair care products you could possibly need, including pillows that you sleep on so you don't mess up your hair. Hair care does not stop in the shower and Kitsch really understands that. They give you products that you can use obviously in the shower but also outside of the shower. I use the Kitsch shampoo and conditioner bars. They are magical. My hair feels so soft, not to mention they're like shower toys. Like it feels so so fun, like to play with it in your hair. And the conditioner smells like coconut and my whole shower just smells so good. They have like essential oils in them that just really make the shower feel like a spa. And my hair has never been softer. I have bleached hair and they're organic and natural and I just absolutely love using them. I'm a pillowcase girly because I don't know what I do in my sleep, but without the pillowcase, my hair gets all messed up in the middle of the night. And now I feel like I wake up and my hair is actually like still styled from the day before. Plus it's really good for your skin because I feel like acne comes from dirty pillowcases. Yeah, the satin pillowcases help my extensions not mat up. Mm -hmm. My extensions stay nice and silky. 
Kitsch is your one-stop shop for holiday gifting. They have every type of hair product. You could literally give everyone in your family different things from Kitsch because there's just so many things they offer and they're all great quality. Right now, this November, Kitsch is offering 25 to up to 60% off site-wide. And this is only this November, so get on that. All you have to do is go to kitsch.com slash twins. Easiest code, can't forget it. You heard that up to 60% in discounts on mykitsch.com slash twins. M-Y-K-I-T-S-C-H dot com slash twins. Plus, Kitsch has unbelievable flash deals, discounts, so check back often. One more time, that's mykitsch.com slash twins for huge holiday discounts. All November long. Yeah, let's get back into the podcast. And you do coach on boundaries um, in the bedroom. How does that tie into strengthening intimacy in a with like in a partner? Yeah, it's um, boundaries for me are like one of the unsung heroes of a strong relationship. Um, I will say a boundary is a boundary is a boundary. So boundaries, whether they exist in in sexual scenarios or outside of the bedroom, it's all the same. There's no hierarchy of boundaries. No boundaries are more or less important. Um, the way I think about boundaries, and this is very challenging to a lot of people because most people think of boundaries as restrictions that we place on other people. Boundaries are an enormous offering of love to someone by saying, I want to be in really good connection with you. And in order for that to happen for me, these are the boundaries I need to feel safe. And not like you can't yell at me, but when you yell at me, I will not engage with you because I can't operate safely in a space where I'm being yelled at. So it's a way of telling someone, showing someone that you are invested in having a deep relationship with them. And the only way that that is possible and accessible for you is if this set of boundaries is maintained. They have a choice whether or not they contribute to the maintenance of your boundaries, but ultimately it's our responsibility to care for and hold our own boundaries. Why do people get upset when when you ask them to follow some boundaries? Why do they get offended when boundaries are set? Because I have tried in the past with multiple relationships to set boundaries and some people take it as an attack. Totally. Uh, It's really easy to hear a boundary and take it personally. Um, And like, you know, sometimes it is a little bit personal. Like I'm not saying it's always, you know, some whatever. Sometimes it is personal. It takes practice. And that is why I say I offer experiential practice because Sometimes I'll offer a boundary to someone and they will have a bad reaction to it. And that, that is the important part. Why is it hard for you to hear that? What does it make you feel when I offer you a boundary? Can you not be in relationship with someone that you can't yell at? Or do you not feel ready to challenge yourself to try engaging with me without yelling at me? Or... Do you feel that my boundary is just too restrictive of you? And if that's the case, then like now we're dealing with an issue of compatibility. Some people can can take it when their partner gets mad and you know that they're going to yell at you because that is how they act when they are triggered. 
and you're able to hold space for them, then that's great. That sounds like a good partnership. But if you actually cannot function when you're yelled at, then there might be a compatibility issue there. So it, it allows you to create a container that feels safe for you to be in relationship with people. And then you get to decide who comes into that container and that person gets to decide whether they want to stay in that container. I'm processing this too. So like I'm trying to like interview as best I can, but I'm also like actually learning and processing this stuff because, you know, I have, I've had quite the year where I've been called selfish more than I ever have in my entire life. I have been called selfish. I have been shamed for setting boundaries. I have had my boundaries completely disrespected. And when I still say no and still hold my boundaries, people throw fits. And I've never seen anything like it. And I, I've been in so many different kinds of relationships in my 20s where I didn't think it was a thing to set boundaries. From when I lost my virginity to the relationships I've had to the friendships, the relationships with my parents, like I was just kind of a yes man, people pleaser. Um, and I don't, I'm, I don't know how I became that way or why, but it is who I became to my core. And it's really hard to reverse that. And the crazy thing is, is like I gave myself years to like these people that are now throwing fits now that I'm like no longer doing it anymore. Talking about this, I had no idea this was even intertwined with sex. I didn't even think this was going to be something we were going to be talking about today. But it's crazy. It's crazy how it's all literally connected. So how would um, setting boundaries help someone's sex life in the bedroom? How does because I know I know about setting boundaries with communication and the way you're treated and, um, you know, ways to feel safe and seen. But in the bedroom, how does setting boundaries help a sex life and how does it make it more fun? Yeah, I think it's all a, a part of that sense of safety that you feel in the connection with someone. If they know your boundaries and they know that you're going to hold your boundaries, then you can play. You can explore. You can deviate. You can try new things. If you know, like, well, one thing I can't do is anal, right? Like maybe this person doesn't do anal. Okay. But like, let's, so like what else is on the menu for us? Is there, is there something else? What about it with a vibrator? What about with a, you know, and get creative. And if that sense of safety is present, so much more is available to us because we can move more freely. Um, I also want to comment on one thing you said, because you named something that's really important in the discussion of boundaries, which is people pleasing. I know everybody thinks that like people pleasing is like a personality trait, but it is something that gets like ingrained into us, especially as female bodied people. Like that's your job, right? Be small, be helpful, be quiet and, and contribute to the well-being of others. There's nothing about us in there. So I think what's really happened is people have gotten so used to people pleasers just doing whatever is asked of them that when they're met with something else, it almost feels like they're breaking the rules. Like you're, you're not holding up your end of the agreement, but we never agreed to it. It's just behavior that's become expected of us. Me and Gabby said in a previous episode that, you know, we both have been shamed for having too high of sex drives. I, I, that's hard to even understand, but oh, come yeah. on. 
Yeah. It was hard for us to understand because me and my sister are like in into someone we're we're all in. Like all in. Eyes on them, laser focused. And um we would we're givers, we're natural givers, and we would give, 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 um, from financial to quality time to experiences and intimacy. So then when that's kind of shut down and shamed and put in your face, like you're, you have to, I have a sex drive. Um, that hurts like a, it hurts a lot and rejection in the bedroom hurts a lot. And I'm sure people come to you when they're being rejected, um, in a relationship. And I'm just curious, like how, how you would even navigate that with someone? Um, well, Nikki, I have to say your intuition level today is super duper high because you use the word giver. And um, I'm going to reference one of my favorite uh, health educators. Her name is Emily Nagoski. And she and her sister wrote a book called Burnout. And it is about unlocking the stress cycle for women. And a lot of the common ongoing stressors in women's lives relate back to what she calls human giver syndrome, that there are human givers and human beings. And it is the human giver's job to support the human being's ability to be. And that dynamic has manifested in the, the way that men and women traditionally relate to each other in our society. So that's a built-in expectation that comes from our social conditioning that men can't help themselves. So women have to be the gatekeepers and that responsibility lies completely with us. So again, like if you're talking to somebody who has not like awoken to any of this, then it's going to be like, you're not holding up your end of the agreement. You are supposed to be here to support me. There are so many people specifically like heteronormative men who aren't the emotional leaders in the relationship, like you said, and they aren't, they will maybe never get to that woke level. And then this cycle just continues and continues. And these children are raised watching their mothers be martyrs and givers and unhappy. And then it just continues, continues. And that's scary. I think it's hard for people to accept how intertwined their own sex lives are with their parents, their history, their cultural backgrounds, their trauma, their ego. It's, it's hard to accept that. It's not an easy truth to take in. And um, yeah, like, I don't think that we as a society are, are doing our part as far as the education piece of this goes, because if we're learning all of this, all, all this stuff that ends up being really toxic for us as an adult, that means we have to counter it with something else. So even if we can never get rid of those expectations, we can teach another way of being. The, when you said human beings and human givers, that, and like the human givers support the humans to be, I'm like, ah, oh, shit. I've experienced a not so good feeling boundary that actually really hurt me. And I don't know to this day why I felt this way, but I was told girls don't poop, girls don't fart. I don't want to go, I don't want to see down there, no butt stuff. And I don't want to hear you go to the bathroom. 
and I don't like just major like you poop butterflies. We're going to keep it that way. I don't want to lose interest in you. I would start overthinking like, oh, my God, he, he heard me or did he see that part of me while we were doing things like down like it really kind of I don't know why, because I maybe this person was trying to communicate a boundary. But then when you dig deep to what a boundary is, it's someone trying to communicate. So that way the relationship has a higher success rate because it's what they can tolerate and they want you to stay within their tolerance. So to dig deeper into that, were they saying, I will not be into you if I see that you are a girl that has a a butthole. Like, I don't know how right. else to word this. Like, <laughs> that hurts a little. I don't know why. Yeah. Hearing you share that, which thank you for sharing that. That's, that's, um, it made me feel dehumanized. Like I'm, I'm allowed to be a person, but not a human. And like that you're not attracted to my humanness is not a turn on. Like everybody poops, right? We read, we all read that book when we were like three years old. And if, yeah, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot to unpack with that one. Like, again, that boundary has nothing to do with you. If that person is just repulsed by poop and farts in general, then Maybe it's like, just let me know if you're going to take a shit and I'm going to go because I find it <laughs> repulsive in general. But if it's like my attraction to you is reliant on the fact that I've never seen or heard poop or farts from you, that's just like, well, you don't want me to be a whole human then. <laughs> yeah. Like if you want to stick it in back there, like ex expect the worst, you know? So don't, don't, don't want to stick it in back there and say, but you, but you can't. Okay. And I, I can't hear fart and, and I, I can't, you got to go to you have separate bathrooms. Like, and I'm learning, like, I'm very aware that, you know, maybe there's some trauma from that and I'm trying to unpack it and go back to where I was before that experience. Sex is messy and sex is weird and stuff happens during sex and the body does what the body does prior to this conversation i was pretty sure that we were going to start talking about like different facets of sex like positions and types and kinks like you said there is a there's a stigma with sex coaching but i'm leaving this conversation feeling very woke with with my past and my emotions and and intimacy and self-respect and self-love and boundaries and that says so much about the stigma and the confusion behind what it actually means to have good sex. Totally. I'm so happy to hear you're feeling that way right now. And I wouldn't be a good coach if I didn't ask you, how do you know? How is your body telling you that that's how you feel right now? Right now? Yeah. What do you feel? I feel very loose and warm and like I can breathe. I think a lot of the times we're all used to holding our breath, talking to people, and we don't even realize yeah. it. I'll say that's hot, Nikki. Thank you. That's how I that's how I started classifying intimacy this year. I said, whatever feels warm and wherever I can breathe is where I go. Whatever feels cold and like I have to bite my tongue, I can't go there anymore. 
Mm, and I love that. I just, I'm tired of feeling like I'm drowning. It's time to fucking breathe. And like, I don't care if my breathing pisses people off. Right? Like basic human functions are okay. Breathing is so, so good for you. Not only does it keep you alive, but the the benefits to having a breathing practice and just being in touch with what it feels like to breathe. Oh God, that's, that's good stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can't take a nice deep breath when you're holding, bottling shit in. So it just, Mm. it feels good. Uh, Literally bottling shit (laughs) out. (laughs) 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 It wasn't, there wasn't a metaphor. I mean, it was a metaphor, but you thought it wasn't a metaphor. (laughs) Yeah, we're not trying to be in a constipated relationship. I want to be in a shitting relationship. Yeah, Metaphorically and literally. I did not know this was going to go here, but I'm living for it. (laughs) Girls can talk about poop and girls do poop. Okay. Where can people find you if they are really inspired from this episode? Um, My Instagram is so very Meryl. I, my website is verymeryl.com. My email is meryl at verymeryl.com. I've tried to make it very easy. It's best to just try and like send me a DM, send me an email. Let's actually engage with each other. Um, I do this work because I love people. I'm so curious about people. I love learning about people. And if I can connect with you on a human level, that's the best way to get through to me. So there's a little um, form on my website. You can send me a little love note or just cheeky slide into the dms and i would love to hear from you meryl is the go-to i'm i'm learning so much just from this hour so yeah that's where you can find her guys um a real professional in this space and i feel so comforted from this so i want everyone else to Mm -hmm. feel that too and not be ashamed of anything with sex or any sex problems it's normal to have problems with sex intimacy period all right guys well it was great hosting by myself i hope i did okay um follow us on socials the opposite twins podcast on you know tiktok instagram twitter for any sneak peek teases or updates press the bell to be notified every time one of these uploads is uploaded and subscribe and yeah that's it for today we'll see you guys next time with gabby 